You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. It's recorded for us there in verse 23. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older, who is the older? Esau shall serve the younger, who is the younger? The younger was Jacob. So there you have it. That was God's announcement. That was God's plan. So Isaac's real problem is his defiance against the revealed will of God. Whether we care to admit it or not, many of us find ourselves making things far more difficult than they need to be. Whether it's our lack of patience, our own anxiety, or even arrogance, we all too often try to take the reins from God in our lives. In today's message, Pastor Mike reflects on the disobedience exhibited by Isaac regarding the well-known will of God. In his study, you'll learn the importance of seeking God's will if you don't know it, and then abiding by it once you learn it. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 27 as he continues his message, Talk About a Dysfunctional Family. God's sovereign will always gets done in spite of any of man's efforts or opposition to it. That's the truth. And, and, you know, if you think about it, what a blessing that is to know that, you know, where we can just rest. We've given our lives to Christ, right? It's part of our conversion experience, being born again of the Spirit of God. We ask Jesus to come and be the Lord and Savior of our lives. You know, uh, to take the, the wheel of our lives, if you will, and, and drive our life, keeping it on the straight and the, and the narrow. Uh, we're just actually sitting now in the passenger seat. God is in control. Haven't we given him that place, that special place in our lives? And so he is in control. He's orchestrating all of the details. He's working behind the scenes, as I always put it, right? Pulling the strings and getting the job done. And we can just rest in that truth. And it's just one of the perks of being a child of God. What a blessing it is. Everything that God has planned for us, we're going to receive. That is, if we don't get in the way and monkey around with those things, that we have no reason or, or purpose in uh, getting involved in in the first place. So this is a tale of four persons. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau, by the way, each one of them will become our bullet points. We're going to consider each one of them and the way that they failed 
to just simply trust God and leave it with him in his hands. We're going to take them in that order. So the first of which is Isaac. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, Isaac. Now, we were introduced to Isaac last time together, and I suggested certain things about him. But one of the things about it, his life was so undistinguishable. I mean, basically, if you think about it, uh, his life was nothing more than a backdrop to be introduced to the other Bible characters in this section of the book of Genesis. Remember last time together, I, I, I had mentioned that one writer describing Isaac for us was that he was the, the son of an extremely distinguished man who would have been Abraham, and then the father of a very distinguished son who would have been Jacob. And it was through Jacob, the 12 tribes, the 12 sons, which later on becomes Israel, moving on through that line comes the Savior, right? So basically, Isaac, when we were first introduced to him, I had mentioned that his life was very undistinguishable. And uh, there's nothing a lot that commends us to this man uh, that is to uh, emulate. And I've already suggested this, but his tale is a cautionary tale. It just should serve up for all of us these warnings. Now, according to verse 1, let's go back to our text. What do we know about Isaac? Well, as I mentioned, uh, many Bible teachers have suggested that at this time, Isaac was 137 years old. He has become ill. He has taken to bed. We don't know exactly the particulars. But notice here, he is complaining of death. Although we are told in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 28, if all of these Bible teachers and commentators are correct in suggesting that at this point here in Genesis chapter 27, that Isaac is 137 years old, well then in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 28, we are told that Isaac lived to the ripe old age of 180 years old. So do the math. That would have meant that there was still 43 years more of Isaac's life to live. So I don't know exactly what's going on here, but uh, maybe you can relate to this. You know, you become ill, and uh, I'm the worst person to be around when I get sick. You don't want to be around me when I get sick. Thank God. There are years that go by where I, I'm, I'm not sick. I don't get a virus. I don't get the flu. I don't... You know, and, and for the most part, thank God, thank you, Lord, you know, I'm, pr I'm a pretty healthy guy, with the exception of I'm getting all, you know, some aches and pains and stuff. But we all go through that as we get older. But uh, when I'm sick, I'm moaning, I'm groaning, I'm complaining, I'm pacing up and down in my house. I usually have a blanket over my head, and it's intolerable to be around me. So maybe that's what, I'm just a baby is what I am. And, uh, and you don't want to be around me. But maybe that's what was going on with Isaac. Maybe he was sort of like a Mike Finizio type, you know, kind of a guy. And uh, he's complaining, oh, I'm going to die. I feel like I'm going to die. And then the wife is laughing at it. That's what my wife, she always kind of laughs at me. You know, basically what she's saying to me is, hey, suck it up, would you, you know? And, uh, but my, I got to tell you something, when it comes to those things and pain, I'm just so glad I'm not a woman ever having to go through childbirth. And uh, I've been in the room for five kids' births, 
And uh, God bless you. I don't know how women go through that. But I would never be able to. I'm so thankful that I'm not a woman. But God bless you guys. <laughs> women, in some ways, are a lot stronger than men, and no doubt. So anyway, maybe I don't know what's going on here with him. But anyway, he's, he's suggesting that he's about to die. But according to Genesis chapter 35 and verse 28, he's to live to the ripe old age of 180 years old. So notice, he's willfully determined at this point to pass the coveted patriarchal blessing to Esau in spite of the fact of God's announcement that it was to go to Jacob, his younger brother. Now, we've, why was that? Well, one of the reasons why was because, and we've already established this, we've already been told that the parents had their favorite sons. I would appeal back to Genesis chapter 25, if you will, quickly. In Genesis chapter 25, in verse 28, we read, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So both parents had their favorites. And Isaac knew that if he had announced that he intended to give the blessing to his favorite son Esau, which granted supremacy, as I've already mentioned, and material prosperity, the household would erupt into an uproar and dissension would follow. Because let me tell you something, that's who Rebecca was. Rebecca was just as strong a character as was any of the members of her family. Rebecca would have made Isaac's life just miserable. So to avoid that, what did Isaac do? Right? He sought to give the blessing secretly. Secretly, when no one was around. Well, anyway, what should have been a joyful public occasion turned into a despicable incident. And then there is this grossness about this meal that was to be prepared by Esau before Isaac expired. And again, I don't know, maybe this was just a ploy on Isaac's part to get his son to go out and, you know, hunt and get the food that he liked. And, you know, we all have our favorites. And if we hadn't had it for a while, we'll do anything to, you know, to get what we want. I don't Who knows? So Isaac is wanting to indulge his physical appetite before giving the blessing. So what do we take away from this? Well, obviously, his base appetite had been passed on to Esau, who, I would remind you, in Genesis chapter 25, sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. Remember that in one of our previous studies. So the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it, gang? But Isaac's real problem, and this is the reason why we should fault Isaac, Isaac's real problem is his defiance against the revealed will of God. Go back to Genesis chapter 25. I told you that we would draw your attention to this. But in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23, God had already made known what his perfect will was for both of these boys. It's recorded for us there in verse 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older, who is the older? Esau shall serve the younger, who is the younger? The younger was Jacob. So there you have it. That was God's announcement. That was God's plan. 
So Isaac's real problem is his defiance against the revealed will of God. So on Isaac's part then, this was a willful forgetting. But listen, you can be sure that even if Isaac had forgotten about God's will or God's plan or God's purpose, you can be sure Rebecca, knowing who she was, would certainly have reminded him. She would have beat him over the head with it. And being so secretive on Isaac's part, now think about this, about all of this shows he knew what he was doing. It was a calculated move on his part. So it's hardly a commendable, that is Isaac, he's hardly a commendable character. Like many in our day who think that they can defy God successfully. So listen, don't fall into this snare. You know, God's word is true. If God speaks, God makes promises to us in his word, don't even think about defying it. Because God is sovereign. And his work and his plan and, and, and his announcements shall come to pass. You can't go up against it. You know, notice as it relates to Isaac in verse 33. Go back to our text quickly. In verse 33, when it finally hits him what's just transpired, then Isaac trembled exceedingly, verse 33, and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. You see, it's at this point where Isaac is broken. He had, been, he had come to the point of realizing that he had been sparring with God, but now he had just received the knockout blow, if you will. Right? He has been soundly defeated. And listen, if you try to go up against God, you're going you're gonna to receive of that same kind of a knockout blow as did Isaac. And then your testimony will be, even as it was of Isaac, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Acknowledging the fact that God is sovereign and that his plan shall always and his word shall always be fulfilled. Okay, so that's Isaac, a cautionary tale. But now let's go on in our cast of characters, and this brings us to our second point, and that would be Rebecca. Okay, so who's Rebecca? What's she all about? What do we learn from her? Well, first of all, let me say that it's been said, and I quote, a home usually take, uh, takes on its characteristic from the mother. And, that's what, and it's been suggested that to be true. Well, and I don't know if that's true or not. I, I know that it's true in, in some cases. But if, it, if that's the case, she must have really been some kind of a mother, some kind of a wife, some kind of a woman. Because within this family, as we've already begun to realize, there's friction, there's distrust, there's underhandedness. Obviously, no one in this family trusted each other. I mean, it's easy to figure that out. And let me ask you the question, where did this suspicion come from? Well, I would draw your attention back to verse 5 of our text. Here's a clue. Rebecca is listening at the keyhole to Isaac's and Esau's conversation, right? There's mom, right, standing behind the door. Uh, listening to everything that they're plotting to, to do, 
Listen, it must have been a difficult family experience with this woman a part of the family. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe some of you had a mom that was exactly like that. But Rebecca's real failure is of the spiritual sort. Yes, she was right in clinging to the promise of God concerning her favorite son, Jacob, over Isaac's favorite, Esau. But you see, as I've already suggested, she failed to trust God to bring that to pass in his own timing, in his own way. You see, she had no right to do evil that good may come of it, seeking to deceive her husband, Isaac. And notice, having pursued her own way, only bad followed. Jump ahead, if you would, to verse 41. Verses 41 through 44. So Esau hated Jacob, you know, after this whole thing played out, and rather than him receiving the blessing, it was bestowed upon Jacob. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So he's swearing an oath here. What was that, which was tantamount to when my father Isaac dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And remember, Esau is a man of the field. He's a real man's man. He was the kind of a guy that most of us as men would like to identify with. Whereas Jacob is a mama's boy, you know, tied to his mother's apron strings, right? And uh, when Jacob got news of the fact that his brother was going to kill him as, as soon as his dad Isaac died, he was probably shaking in his boots, right? But he swore an oath. And then in verse 42, and the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban and Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. So, and we'll get into this in some of our future studies. From this point on, 20 years of unexpected exile for Jacob, of which he wasn't prepared. And as I've already mentioned, he was a sheltered mama's boy. And now think about, think about Rebecca. Her, her, her favorite son is now absent from her for 20 years. He was sent to his uncle Laban's house. And Laban, man, I tell you, what an interesting character study he is. You know, talk about Jacob being the supplanter and the deceiver. And uh, Jacob just got his just deserves when he met up with this guy. And uh, he's like the ultimate used car salesman, if you will, <laughs> Laban. And uh, we'll get to him later on in one of our future uh, studies. Well, you know, we shouldn't be surprised by that. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption, right? Whatsoever man sows, that also shall he reap. And so if you think about it, Rebekah and Jacob were just reaping what they had sown. And so it is. These are laws that govern uh, the universe. Listen, gang, if you're not trusting God, trying to do your own thing, trying to do your own will, and not God's will, or you're trying to do his will, but doing it in your own way, plottings of sin never work out. And the path of disobedience is always rocky. Let me give you a classical example of this. 
It's found in the book of Exodus in chapter 2. So all you got to do is go ahead to one book of the Bible, if you would, follow with me, and open with me quickly to Exodus chapter 2 in verses 11 through 15. Let me set this up for you. This is Moses, and uh, the story that's recorded here for us is the killing of the Egyptian taskmaster. And, uh, you know, there was this impression that Moses, and, and I believe it was an impression that was given to him by God, that he was going to be God's people, Israel's deliverer, that is from Egypt, from their bondage in Egypt. And it was true. But what God wanted to do through Moses wasn't going to happen at this particular time. It, it was going to come to pass sometime in the near future. Well, I don't even know if it was the near future. So Moses took things into his own hands. You say, how's that? Well, let's pick up in verse 11 of chapter 2. Now, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian, one of the taskmasters, beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, made sure that no one was around. No one could be an eyewitness of what was about to take place. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Okay, so at this point, he thought, okay, news is going to get out and back to the other Jews, my other brethren. And this is sort of going to be a rallying uh, point amongst the people uh, for me to be their leader, to lead them out of this bondage, right? That this would be the beginning of a revolution. And, uh, and, and that's what he thought. He was absolutely persuaded that that's the way the things were going to play out. But to his surprise, we read on, and then he went out the second day, and behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And then he said, so rather than them rallying behind, right, Moses, right, at this, at this point, he, they cried out, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And so Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. You know, it wasn't until another 40 years later that God recommissioned him. Remember the burning uh, bush out in the wilderness? Some 40 years from what we read here in chapter 2 to him actually being commissioned by God and then being sent to Pharaoh to stand before him to demand that he let God's people go. That's what happens when you take things into your own hands. They're never, you're never justified. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long when you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.